Good morning. I love when we do child dedication, and I always see the parents are, uh, sometimes they're a little nervous, and they start apologizing, hey, our kid might start to cry, and I'm always like, no, 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 that's awesome. I, we love to hear kids making noises on the stage. It's a sign of life, you know, right? And also, every other parent in this room is just thankful that it's not their kid, so it's a great gift either way. Um, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 7 today. I'll let you turn there if you want. But I wanted to start with something I read. It's this quote at the bottom of the screen. We'll put it up here again for you. And it's this. Everyone wants a revolution. No one wants to do the dishes. And I don't know who said that, but it does ring true. There, there are great things that we want to be a part of, great things we want to see happen, especially when it comes to God and his work but are we willing to just wash some dishes? Are we willing to do the ordinary work that needs to be done? One way I think about it is it's, it's easy sometimes for us to get excited about trying to build a well somewhere in Africa and not as excited about just loving our neighbor next door. And we're taking these two Sundays, last Sunday and this Sunday, before we start Lent next week, to look at our work through the lens of Jesus Christ. We're asking the question, how can my everyday work be every good work that's pleasing in his sight. And it, it, we're defining our work as whatever the field is that's before you. Your work might be raising kids. Your work might be uh, uh, designing uh, websites. It might be anything. But what is that thing that you're doing? And so last Sunday, we looked at a group of people to whom the church planting apostle Paul had written uh, who believed this. They believed that Jesus Christ was going to come back at any second. And because they believed that Jesus Christ was going to come back at any second, they started looking at their everyday work and they said, what's the point? Why show up and go to work? I mean, if Jesus is going to come back, what's the point of this? But Paul showed us last week that if our ambitions are in the right place, then our everyday work can be every good work for God. Well, today I want us to look at a different passage where people were wrestling with a little bit of a different question, and it was this. Should I leave what I'm doing to go do real work for God? Should I leave my station to go pursue ministry with God? And we're going to end today like we did last week. We're going to call one, somebody from our congregation up, and we're going to interview them and find out a little bit about how their work does that. So um, we're in 1 Corinthians today. It's 1 Corinthians 7. This is a letter that was written by Paul, like last week. Paul was a church planter. He'd actually planted the church in the city of Corinth. Now, just like we saw last week, these people had come to faith in Jesus Christ out of all kinds of different situations. Racial ones, political ones, national ones, economic ones. But it, what, what didn't matter was where they came from. It mattered who they were going to. They were going to Jesus. Jesus had trumped their former affiliations. In fact, this is one of the powers of the first century church. One of the things that made it such an enigma, but made it just so powerful, is you had people who normally would have been at each other's throats, and they are kneeling together and saying, we're focused on one thing, Jesus Christ. And there's no wonder they felt that way, because when Paul planted this church five years before this letter, he helped them prioritize. A few chapters earlier from this one in 1 Corinthians 2, Paul explains that priority. He says this, He's talking about the time when he was with them, when he had helped plant the church. And he said, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul is saying, when I was with you, I made it my absolute purpose to make it clear that you would understand that we're not defining this thing by a set of walls. We're defining it by this well. And this well is a person, and this well is an event. It's the person of Jesus Christ and his 
crucifixion and resurrection. That is what I strove when I was with you to make sure that you were centering this whole community and every life around. It could be unsettling to be defined by a well. We feel much safer about walls, but walls don't have life. They don't have living water. And so Paul had planted this church around the well of Jesus Christ in the city of Corinth. Now, the city of Corinth was kind of a wild place. It was a crossroads for a lot of trade routes, and there was a lot of commerce and business here. A lot of steady stream of travelers and merchants, all kinds of temples and different faiths were going. It was a, it was a hubbub of craziness there. One of the things that was interesting about Corinth is people would travel there to do business, but they'd also travel there to do the things they couldn't do back home, like visit the temples with their many prostitutes that they had, or to go gambling, or to, to, to live up life. If you've ever read the book of 1 Corinthians and you see some of the topics he's talking about, you realize this was a wild place. Corinth was like the new Vegas of the ancient world. And what happened in Corinth stayed in Corinth, right? But as some of these, what this means is that this well began to draw people from all kinds of life situations. And so as they began to journey towards Jesus Christ, some of them started to believe this. Well, if I really want to follow Jesus, I need to leave behind what I was doing. After all, I, I'm a Roman centurion, or I'm a tax collector, or I'm a Pharisee, or I'm a Sadducee, or, you know, I just unload a cargo from the caravans that come in, and, and, and really what I want to do is make my life count. I want to leave that and go follow Jesus. Years ago, I went with a group of people to Malawi in Africa. We were doing a pastor training there. And in many ways, it reminded me kind of a first century kind of church situation because uh, many of these pastors, uh, the only training they had was that someone had handed them the Bible. So you had guys that had been a pastor only slightly longer than they had been a Christian. And someone had given them a, a Bible, and they're the, the owner of the Bible, and so they're the pastor in the village. And so we were doing this Q&A time, and there's some hilarious stuff that was happening there. It was really a fun time. But I'll never forget this one guy. It was a room about this size, and he raised his hand. He goes, I have a question. He was holding up the Bible. And he said, I, I, I uh, just I became a Christian, and then I got this Bible, and I'm a pastor, and my question is, um, my wife is not a Christian. And so should I divorce her and go marry a Christian woman so I could really do the Lord's work? And I said, I don't know your wife, but no, don't do that, right? And, and, but you hear the heart of this question. I mean, it's a good-hearted question. Here's a guy who's saying, but I, I really want to go and follow Jesus, and I, I should, probably should do that, right? I should leave my situation. Do I need to change my situation to follow God? That's the same kind of heart that was happening in Corinth. These, they were saying, should we leave our jobs and become full-time for God? So what do you tell them? Paul tells them something in an entire chapter of 1 Corinthians 7. We're going to look at two of the verses there, but I'll, I'll just highlight these in 1 Corinthians 7. Here's what Paul says. Let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which the Lord has called him. This is my rule. This is my principle. Here's the overarching practice in all the churches. And then he says this in verse 24. So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, let the, there let him what? Say it again. Remain with God. The basic principle here is this. Live where you already are. Whatever condition you were in, whatever situation you were in, when you first started drinking of the well, you put your, begin to believe in Christ and follow him. Stay in it. Now, in the rest of this chapter, he gives a number of different examples of what this could look like. He, he says, uh, if, earlier he says, if you are married to someone who doesn't share your faith, don't divorce them. Stay with them. 
This is the exact question that African pastor was asking. He said, if you were not circumcised when you came to Christ, don't get circumcised. Now, that was a big hurdle, right? Because a large number of this group were people who had come out of uh, a Jewish background, and they thought, well, wait a minute, you have to get circumcised before you can follow Christ. And he's saying, no, no, stay in that situation. He actually says this, if you were circumcised when you came to Christ, don't try to get uncircumcised. I don't even know how that works. I'm just glad that's in the Bible. That's a good verse. He says, if you were a bond servant and you, you signed your life over to, to do a contract and to work with someone, don't say, well, now that I come to Christ, i got to break that contract. No, no, stay in the contract. This is the principle he's doing. Let each person remain in the condition in which he was called. But there's a twist, and it's found in the last three words of verse 24. You stay in the same condition, but you stay in this way. Remain with God. Say that with me. Remain with God. Your job has not changed, but your approach to it has. You may be an electrical contractor, and then you come to faith in Christ. You are still an electrical contractor, but now you are an electrical contractor with God. In a real new way, God is present with you in that work, and in a real new way, you're bringing him into that work. These three words, remain with God, are powerful because they expand on something he said in verse 17, this idea of calling. None of you have ever uh, used the word calling much to describe your life. A lot of times in church, we use the word calling to talk about like ministry situations. You know, here's a, oh, here's a couple and they feel a calling to go to the mission field here, so we're going to pray for them. Or, or here's someone that, that feels a calling to do this job uh, of ministry or be a pastor. But do you ever hear someone talk of their calling to web design? We don't talk like that a lot. There's a book by a guy named Oz Guinness who wrote this book called The Call. And he kind of says it this way. He says there are two really call, two calls in our life, a primary and a secondary. The primary is a call to someone. It's that call to the well of Jesus Christ. That's the primary call of our life is to a person. And the secondary calling is that everyone, everywhere, and in everything should think and speak and act and live entirely for that someone. And the key, he says, is to make sure that this primary calling is primary. The number one thing in our life is us following Christ. But that that first one should lead to the second one, where we begin to figure out, well, how can I bring other people to the well? The key is that we're aware that whatever we do, God is with us, and we are there with him. And when we get clarity on this, it begins to open up our eyes to see that, you know, in any job that I'm in, I can live out the calling of following Jesus and bringing him to where I am. Now, there's another passage in, this, uh, in another letter that Paul wrote that I wanted to bring out because I just kind of connected with this. There's a sense that God doesn't just want us to work with him. He wants us to do something else. This might be my favorite verse of all time to talk about our work. In the letter to the Colossians, he writes this. <clears throat> Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, and then you are serving whom? The Lord Christ. If you really grasp this verse, it could revolutionize the way that you approach your work. Whatever you do, work heartily. You are serving the Lord Christ. We're not working for a boss. We're working for God. No matter what your profession, uh, farming, politics, banking, medicine, you're working for God. I love what Dallas Willard writes. We need lawyers and roofers and waiters and CEOs who will see their jobs as holy orders 
and pursue them with the same passion as evangelists and missionaries. But think about how this applies in our lives, and it's that thought that really when I go to work, uh, that I'm really working for Christ. And some of you are like, uh, you don't know my boss. <laughs> uh, it does not feel like I'm working for Christ. I didn't say your boss was Christ. But one way to maybe kind of orient this in your brain is when, when you show up at work, you realize this. God is my source of income. It's not my employer. My, my pay stub might say the city of Colorado Springs, might say IBM, or might say something else like that. But ultimately, really, God is the one that is funding your life, and he is just funding it through, that's passing through the hands of this organization you work for. God has wired you. He's given you passions and gifts and desires, and you should do what you want. It doesn't really matter what you do. It's who you are doing it for. God doesn't really care if you are driving trucks or designing websites. What he cares about is, and what he wants to know about is this, are you doing this with me? Are you doing this for me? So let me give you an example of what I'm talking about, and then we'll invite our guest up. I want to introduce you to a man named Arthur Guinness. Um, I got to know him through reading this book, The Search for God and Guinness. It's a really great read by Stephen Mansfield. Arthur lived in Ireland almost 300 years ago. It was during a time when people really didn't understand some things about germs and disease. And so the same river which they would throw their sewage into was the same river that they'd drink out of. People were getting sick and they were dying. People began to connect that, well, maybe there's something in the water. You know what? We should stop drinking water. What could we drink instead? Gin. So they started drinking a lot of gin. And what started out as a good idea, as often happens, got blown out of proportion. And all of a sudden, drunkenness became this major problem in the United Kingdom. At one point, every sixth building in London was a gin house. Now, you might think that's good or bad, depending on if you like gin, but just imagine that. I mean, this industry that had grown up, and people were getting drunk and getting sick and dying. There was a phrase at the time that said, um, are you, uh, it said, uh, the, fr the phrase was, drunk for one penny, dead drunk for two pence, clean straw for nothing. You can get a free straw anytime you want, but, you know, for a couple pennies, you could get drunk. And so what were they going to do about this? Introducing beer. Beer was lower in alcohol. It was safer to drink. It was less likely to get drunk than the gin. The brewing process was killing the germs. And Arthur Guinness's family owned this brewery. And they were very successful at it. They were providing a safer and more nutritious alternative for people. But one day, Arthur was sitting in church, much like you are. And they had a guest preacher that day. His name was John Wesley. John Wesley is a very famous uh, Methodist preacher and kind of helped found Methodism. We don't know the content of John's sermon that day, but we do know this about Methodist preachers. They, they would kind of have these set of, of sermons that they would deliver, and they'd go around and they'd deliver the same ones to different places. And so one of the things that John Wesley often said, it was a cornerstone kind of quote for him, was this. Your wealth is evidence of a calling from God, so use your abundance for the good of mankind. Now, here's Arthur sitting in the, in the pews, and he's a very successful uh, businessman, and he's, but he's also a very strong Christian. He had put his faith in Jesus Christ, and he was trying to reconcile these things. He wanted to serve God. Maybe he should quit his job making beer and get involved with doing ministry. Instead, Arthur went back to work. 
He remained with God in the brewery, and he began to leverage it for Christ. Here's a few things. The first thing he did is he began to say, how would Jesus treat his employees? And so he, be- he raised the wages of all of his workers by 10 to 20%. Higher than the average. Uh, the brewery became known as the best place to work in Ireland. And every day, each one of the employees got two pints for free on their way home. He founded a hospital for the poor. He said what Jesus would do is he would help people that couldn't pay for things. He began to pour himself in and started the very first Sunday schools in Ireland. Arthur so leveraged his work for God that the city of Dublin said, you are invaluable to us, and they signed a lease with him for the property of the brewery for 9,000 years. That means in 8,700 years from now, Guinness is going to have to renegotiate their land contract with the city of Dublin. They got some time. Now, if the story ended there, it would be a great one, but Arthur also taught his kids to follow in his footsteps. And to this day, the family continues to see how they can do good with their work. In 1900, uh, Arthur was one of the, uh, not Arthur, but the Guinness family was one that had hired a chief medical officer that, that would kind of take care of the health of the employees. And, and this medical officer went, used to start going to neighborhoods and visiting the homes of the employees. There was a lot of disease at the time. And he'd be visiting there and the employee would say, thank you. Uh, my neighbor doesn't work at the brewery, but could you visit him? Well, uh, okay. And, and so I'll go over there. And this thing began to blossom. This, this thing turned into the Irish version of the Red Cross. I'd like to think that it was the Green Cross, but that might bring up different connotations for Coloradans. <laughs> In World War I, they promised every soldier that leaves for the battlefield, your job will be waiting when you return, and we are going to pay your family half wages, even though you're not working. In the 1920s, the employees of this brewery had full dental, full health care, subsidized meals, funerals paid for. He just kept saying, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? How would he live? And this is one of my favorite stories. During the start of World War II, just imagine this. You have all these soldiers from the U.K. that are now serving in, 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 at Christmas time in cold fields and away from home, afraid, wondering if they're going to live, missing their families. It's Christmas time. The Guinness Company said this, we promise every biz, uh, British soldier you're going to have a bottle of Guinness with your Christmas meal this year. There's a problem, though. Uh, all the people that would have been making those pints were serving overseas or over within the military. So the brewery was depleted. They operated around the clock. They were trying to churn out as much as they could, and they couldn't make it happen. And then there were some knocks on the door. It was a group of retired former brewers from the brewery. They said, hey, we'd like to volunteer our time. They dug in. Still, the output was not enough. And then all of a sudden, another knock on the door, and it was competing breweries from all over the country who said, we're not opponents in this. We're showing up. Can we roll up our sleeves and brew with you? By Christmas, every soldier had his pint due to the unselfish efforts of the brewers of Ireland. Here's me at the uh, gate of the brewery last summer. That's the St. James Gate where the brewery's located. Here's that 9,000-year lease. It's actually right there. You can look at it. Here's me doing research for the sermon because I wanted to make sure I got it just right. <laughs> Get it done. Now, you may be thinking, well, sure, give me a company with a lot of money. I'll go do a lot of good. No, 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 that, that's not the takeaway. The real takeaway here is this. For Arthur Guinness and his family, the issue wasn't the work that they did. It's who the work was for. They weren't brewing beer. They were serving Christ. And they did it by staying in the station where they were in, 
remaining with God. God is present with us. What is he leading to do? Claiming the highest of purposes for their wealth. And what they show us today is what is possible when we are willing to work for and with Christ and apply a fiery faith to the needs of our times in our everyday work in the world. So the encouragement I want to offer you today as you think about returning to whatever your work is, is this. It really doesn't matter what you do. It's who you do it with and who you do it for. Now, I want to practice uh, seeing the truth of this by inviting a guest up. I'm going to invite up April Loudon. April, will you join me up here, please? Y'all welcome April. <clears throat> hey. Uh, we're going to do what we did last week. I'm going to ask April a few questions about her everyday work. And I want you to have your listening ears on because then we're going to take microphones and come out to you and ask you the question, where are you hearing the work of God in April's work? Okay. So, hi. Good morning. Good morning. April, where do you work? I work at Chick-fil-A. Mm. Okay. Well, that, we, that we're done. Yeah. <laughs> <coughs> Clearly, that's God's work. That's not even hard to think about. So, um, what do you do at Chick-fil-A? So I'm a manager at Chick-fil-A, um, so my work looks like a lot of different things. That's something I really like about working in the restaurant is that every day is a little bit different. Um, on the managerial side, I do a lot of things like hiring, training, leadership development. Um, but if you come into the restaurant, which a lot of you do come into the restaurant at Chick-fil-A, um, and I see you when you come in, but um, you'll see me taking orders at the register, bagging orders. Sometimes I'll be back in the kitchen washing dishes or boxing your chicken nuggets. Okay. A little bit of everything. That's good. Why, uh, well, I guess why and how, but why, why do you work at Chick-fil-A? How did, how did mm -hmm. that come about? Mm -hmm. um, so when I first started working at Chick-fil-A, I was really just looking for a part-time job. Um, it, I started there the year that my twins started kindergarten, and so I wanted to work hours that were flexible where I could work during the hours that they were in school. Um, so that's really how I came to work at Chick-fil-A in the first place. Um, I was drawn to the company itself. You guys might know a little bit about Chick-fil-A. It's a really beautiful company to work for. So. Okay, good. What now, uh, I imagine just my, my thought of working at Chick-fil-A um, is that it is just a cornucopia of just free chicken all the time. Oh, yeah. And in absolutely. fact, my son worked at Chick-fil-A Chick a few years ago, and I had this impression that there would be Chick-fil-A coming home every night, and somehow the Chick-fil-A never made it from the restaurant to our house. So I was really disappointed in that. Um, <laughs> but that's, that's probably silly. What, what are some challenges, though, that you face mm -hmm. working in it? Mm -hmm. um, so the restaurant industry is very challenging. I'd love to see a show of hands. How many of you have worked in a restaurant before or do work in a restaurant? Okay, so um, you guys understand it, it can be a very, very stressful um, environment to work in, especially during busy times. And when is Chick-fil-A not busy? So uh, it's, it's pretty stressful at times. I had a conversation with one of my co-managers yesterday about how that stress can affect us and how it's easy in that moment of stress to just react to each other poorly. Um, and our conversation led into talking about how important it is to be walking in the spirit when we're working every single day, because if we're walking in the spirit, then when that stress comes, we actually have the ability to respond to each other um, in a way that honors Christ and is demonstrating him in that way, um, which can be really challenging. There's always a challenge every single day. But um, another big challenge about working in this industry is kind of the negative stigma that people um, have about working in the service industry, about working in the food industry. Um, when you're a college kid working at a restaurant, 
um, people you know, don't think anything of it. But when you're an adult who has chosen to work in the service industry in some way, people kind of look at you funny, like, why are you still doing that? Why aren't you pursuing something different? Mm. Um, and I have a, a coworker who's been working for Chick-fil-A for 15 years, and we've had conversations about his family pressuring him to look for something else or, you know, people not really understanding why you would choose to work um, in service longer term. So uh, that's a challenge we face. I want to ask you that uh, question in a second, but I want to start with us first. Um, just from the little bit of description that, that April's uh, given to her everyday work, where are you hearing God at work in her work? Mm -hmm. And if what you could do is we have a couple people with microphones. If you'll raise your hand, they'll come to you, and uh, we'll, we'll share a few things together. Where are you hearing God at work in the story of April? Hi, I also work in a restaurant as well, but being able to serve people and being able to provide that experience of service and saying, how can I help make your day better? How can I make you smile or laugh today? And just being able to do that on a daily basis or on a weekly basis and being able to bring that little bit of light into somebody's life. I know I try and do that every shift. I try and work. April up. I get to visit Chick-fil-A quite a bit. And uh, your countenance is amazing, is very consistent. But the whole idea that you mentioned earlier that uh, just God dependence in what you do is a big encouragement. What else, where do you hear God at work? I had a wonderful experience with Chick-fil-A. I was treating my daughter-in-law and my three little beautiful granddaughters for lunch. And um, and the man at the counter said, well, we're just going to pick up the tab for you. And I said, for us? And he said, yes, I will. And that is just, I was in awe. Mm. I was in awe that um, I didn't have to do anything, and they did so much for me. Um, I like how April mentioned that she um, she actually takes on other tasks in the restaurant that maybe not be in her job description and um, maybe does, you know, the same types of jobs that the, you know, 16 or 18-year-old in there is doing and she um, really just uh, serves and takes on whatever whatever needs to happen. She takes it on, so... you say that um, you try to use God in, um, in all the situations and through the stresses, as we all know, Chick-fil-A Chick is busy all the time, and you show grace and empathy and courteousness to your coworkers as well as customers and try to meet them where they are and show them the service that they deserve. One more right there, April. Mm, I love what you said about walking in the spirit and understanding the importance of the Lord being with you as we talk today, as you are serving these people and as you're serving these 16-year-olds and loving them and ministering to them, I just so admire the way that you serve your team. 
So um, thank you. So we've been sharing some things that we are seeing, but what, what are you seeing? How do you see the work of God in your work? Mm -hmm. So I talked about, you know, why I came to work for Chick-fil-A in the first place, but I want to talk about um, a shift that happened to where I really do feel called to what I do today. Um, I remember sitting down in my interview with my um, operator, Randy, and he asked me a typical kind of interview question, where do you see yourself two years from now? And of course, he wants to um, he wants to get a feel for how long I would anticipate working in the restaurant if he were to hire me. And I told him, it's very likely that within a couple of years, I will want to return to what I've done in the past, which is ministry work. So before I started working for Chick-fil-A, I was on staff um, at a church. I have done multiple ministry jobs, and that's something that I really love to do. And so I told him, honestly, I'll probably be looking for ministry work. And Interestingly, a couple years into my time with Chick-fil-A, that door opened. I had the opportunity to join a church staff here in town as the worship arts director, and it was a part-time ministry job. And so for about a year, a little under a year, I worked part-time in ministry, part-time at Chick-fil-A. So I had one foot in ministry, one foot in the restaurant, one foot in the business, and I wrestled so much that year with, God, what are you really calling me to do? And um, what I ended up doing during that time was I journaled a lot, I prayed a lot, and I developed for myself a life purpose statement, was able to put it down on paper, and um, it really has two parts. One is that I want to help people to believe that they are worthy and loved and capable of great things. And the other part is that I want to help them to live like they are worthy mm. and loved and capable of great things. And once I had that down on paper, God just demonstrated to me loud and clear, you are already doing that in the restaurant. And so I know it sounds strange, but I made the choice for ministry's sake to leave my ministry job to work in a restaurant. Now, don't do that. We don't want you to leave your well, ministry job. I want to go back to the free Chick-fil-A again, just for a second. Um, I do get free Chick-fil-A. I know <laughs> it's tempting. No, it's, it's uh, uh, just talking about the, the calling thing. Isn't that crazy kind of think about uh, you're applying First Corinthians seven to your own thing, where you were you were feeling called into where you're going to serve, but who you're serving. Mm -hmm. yeah. Absolutely. And if I can, I want to share a couple of brief examples of what that okay. looks like for me. Um, for one, I really have great relationships with my team members. Almost right away when I started working at Chick Fil A, um, Brandon and I we opened up our home. We had team members over on a regular basis. Um, sometimes it would be one-on-one, -on -one, a young team member sitting down in my living room for coffee, just talking about life and whatever they're dealing with. Um, we also would have big groups of people over for dinner. At one point, we had a Bible study going on in our house. Um, at one point, we even had a couple of team members living in our house. So we really have embraced that community that God's given us access to. Um, and then just this week, a few examples of how that connection has been real. Um, I had a former team member who's now married and living in Nebraska FaceTime me from the hospital after giving birth to her baby girl. So that's a really special connection that's still in existence even after she's left. I had a team member this week in college texting me about the date that she just went on with a guy from her class. And just to be trusted with that kind of stuff is really special um, to connect with my team that way. Um, I had a team member last month ask me out for coffee to talk about struggles that she's experiencing in her marriage and in her finances. And um, this one's more on the business side, but so exciting to me. We have a young man that works for us that when he came into his interview, he was wearing a t-shirt and cargo shorts. <laughs> Super professional, I know. But he was just, uh, 
a kid and he, but we saw that he was full of energy and that's needed in this industry. We, we wanted to give him a chance. So we brought him on um, and when he first started working for us, he was just goofy, joking all the time, messing around, but we saw some potential in him. So we poured into him and developed him and he's now a team leader on our staff two years later. And he manages our inventory for a $7 million business at 20 years old. And I think that's really awesome. I find so much joy in being able to see him thrive and raise up to his fullest possible potential. Um, I also don't want to neglect to talk about the impact that our guests have on my life and the impact that we get to have on our guests' lives. Um, Pulpit Rock Church talks a lot about the table and ministry happening and life happening around the table. I get to work in an industry that I get to be at that table with people in their real lives every single day. People come into the restaurant to share a meal with their families to celebrate birthdays. We had a family celebrate their adoption day with us. We had a five-year-old named Colton come in to celebrate that he's cancer-free. We also have gotten to walk alongside um, a mom as she was mourning the loss of her son. She brought her grandkids in to play in our playland. We also have gotten to um, walk alongside John, who goes to church here. He was here during first service um, after he lost his wife of nearly 60 years. Um, and we, we become family with these people as we share the table with them. That's great. Hey, thank you, April. Appreciate that. It's my pleasure. Yes. <laughs> thank you, um, I want to encourage all of you to support uh, April today by stopping by Chick-fil-A and just picking up some lunch, <laughs> some dinner. That would be great. What? Oh. Mm. That's not very spiritual. Um, I, I want to move this. I want to move you towards a moment of, of talking with God, and I want us to sing, and then we'll close our service. But I want to put a question up as we, as Anna is going to lead us into a time. This is a question I ask you to take to Jesus Christ. What would change in my work if I went there tomorrow, with, and also for Jesus? What would change there? I'll give you a moment to sit with that question, and you may want to. Take some time over at our prayer wall. There might be something specific you want to write out or give to him. But let's take a moment in prayer, and then we'll have our benediction.